good. What a week last week was, huh? It was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it was insane, like, in our lives. Obviously, with the podcast, we had two awesome, great interviews with Leah and Kristen. Both were great guests, and we got a lot of press for both. And it's kind of exciting. Obviously, you know when you get a, when you have a podcast like that, it's an insane, exciting week for us because you know obviously we make news, but we have great guests, and we're also to you know we're we're trying to put out the best episodes we can. We want it to be good, and we really do think that was a I don't know I think at least I think that was a they were both good episodes. How about you? What do I you thought think? they were great, and I, I uh, the feedback from a lot of people like. People that I haven't talked to in a while were texting me, oh my God, what a great interview with Kristen. I, you know, I watched the show and she always came across as kind of like ditzy or uh, bitchy or whatever, but like her on your podcast was probably the best I've ever heard her speak. Like all kinds of like, we j- felt like a lot of just good response towards her and her situation and they felt that she was genuine and she was apologetic and I think that's, you know... That's how she wanted to come across, so she did a good job. Yeah, we haven't talked to her since, but I, you know, at least from the response that we got, we had a lot of people praising her, you know, and a lot of people who were fans of the show known her, knew her to be a dramatic person on the show. She was always, there was always drama around her, but she came on, she was honest there, she was real, and they all respected her interview. They, they, uh, you know, and um, that's just, you know, hey, listen, we were going to, like we said, we were going to press her, and she was open for it, and she was game, and... I respect her for kind of being open about it. And then we had Leah, Leah McSweeney from Real Housewives of New York, and she was great. And we, again, a huge response from her. You know, people loved her. But, Dax, I'll take this. You know, I, you know, me and you spoke after we started to get a lot of press about the interview. You said something that really struck a chord with me regarding Kristen. And you said, when these people go on reality TV, they want them to push the edge. They want them to go a little crazy. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden, they push the edge. And then they're shamed for it. We, you know, they're they're canceled for it. They're they're fired for it. And well, I, I thought that was like, really- yeah. You get these like Bravos or TLCs or you know MTV, and all the production companies they want you to be this crazy, over the top, you know, bigger than life personality. And and it's almost like you become accustomed to it. And then you push the limits and you do crazy crap off the air because that's what people want. But then immediately you could be canceled because you either push it too far or you push the wrong button or you, you know, and I'm like, and then all these companies that built you up, turn their back on you immediately. Not like, hey, let's, let's help her learn because she, she went too far. Same thing with Nick Cannon. My thoughts when you hear the whole Nick Cannon thing situation, my thoughts, you know, is like, I look at it as, you know. I look at it as what he did. I look at it from a PR. I look at it from a news angle. I look from all different angles. And the whole Nikanen thing, I'm like, I think he did it to test the boundaries and try to, you know, push people a little bit. And instead, it kind of went back at him and got him canceled. Yeah. You know, and I don't know if Kristen did the same thing. Like, she knew what she was doing. Yeah, I don't know. I think, isn't the mass Singer sticking with him? I think they stuck by him and he gets to continue being the host of their show. Listen, at the end of the day, Which it's is, not a good time. Yeah. I, I, in this day and age, that it's almost shocking to hear that someone actually gets to keep their job or that a network is sticking behind them, honestly. And like, but you uh, and I, we're both Jewish. And, you know, I, I, I listened to the whole thing. I'm not going to lie. I was a little confused by it. I felt like... Were you offended? Said, 
well, I was well. I'm hardly offended with anything. Let's be realistic. Exactly. Nothing offends me anymore, unless (laughs) that asshole that put that we jumped the shark on our (laughs) our podcast jumped the shark in the the comments. That that was the only thing that really got to me. That was Um, personal. Because it was personal, but really, I, I I don't get offended. I think that I didn't fully understand his comments, and that might be a lack of education or knowing the the behind the scenes with it. But I I listened to it numerous times. I was like. I guess I'm I I don't know because I I don't know Farrakhan that well I don't know much about him you know yeah 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 I uh, listen I've met Nick a bunch of times I don't know if he could tell I'm Jewish but there was no animosity towards me he's always been kind of nice and good guy in person you know it's uh, I, again and you can't offend you can't offend me I would just like laugh it off it's not like oh my god like that's just me personally but some people were offended and they're they're very they're hey listen that's they're in right to do so but dude. You uh, you had a big week. You this is the funniest thing. So last week I get a call from Fox News and like, hey, listen, uh, from Tuck, it's from the producers of Tucker Carlson show, and they say, hey, would one of you guys want to go on the Tucker Carlson show, one of the biggest news shows out there on TV? And I was actually the biggest news show. Like I didn't realize that when you called me, buddy. I didn't realize that it's like the number one (laughs) news show on cable television. And so you call me and you're like, hey, so they no. You call sorry. Preface this by saying, Adam fucks with me a lot, you guys. (laughs) All the time. So he always calls me up and will like you know, say, oh, so-and-so wants to do our podcast, and I get excited, and he's like, just kidding, they didn't really call, or like someone I really don't like, he'll be like, oh, yeah, they, they reached out, they want to come on and confront you, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me, I don't want to talk to them, <laughs> so he, that, that's, that's setting up to what he did, now go ahead, keep, tell them so what I, you did. So the producers from Tucker Carlson said, hey, well, one of you guys want to come on and talk to, uh, go on the Tucker Carlson show, the biggest show on you know, cable news show out there and talk about what's going on with the Washington Redskins. Now, I was in the middle of Central Park and not, and I was also a little hot. No, I uh, I just got <laughs> done. I just got done with the, I was sweaty. I was in the mood to go do something like that. I said, okay, well, Dax will do it. And then I said, I call you. I'm like, Dax, you're going on Tucker Carlson. You're talking about the Redskins. And you're like, stop. No, no, Dax, I swear to you, you're going on it. Dax goes, stop. I, no, stop. No, Stop fucking with me. Stop fucking with me. <laughs> and I'm like, no, Dax, you're going on the show. You're going it, on fuck. There was it was a good like five minutes back and forth between him saying and I was like, all right, bro, like joke's over. It's not funny anymore. Like, let's move on. <laughs> and I'm like, Dax, I'm serious. You're going like start looking up. Why are you wasting time? And you pretty much had an hour notice before you had to like shower, brush your hair, put on a collared shirt and go on the biggest talk news talk show out there which was and, insane and talk about a topic that is not my comfort zone let's say that like <laughs> what like, sexual harassment is not your comfort zone not Dex? that i'm talking more of just like knowing the ins and outs of the washington redskins i don't know that team at all like at all and i'm sitting here having to talk about daniel snyder i'm having to talk, like all this stuff and cram it into my brain so that i sound like an intelligent human being on air but you did a great job, and it's not easy. You had to do a whole 90-second piece by yourself. Now, this is not banter. You're not going back and forth with a reporter. You had to do a whole, write up a whole 90-second piece and do it yourself on air. And i got to be honest with you. I was very proud of you. You did a great job. Thanks, man. I stumbled a little bit at the top, but I think it was the nerves right before I went on, which I don't normally get nervous for doing a live. It just was 
I've never done it with Tucker. I've never, you know, I've, it was just like a bunch of things combined, and then uh, and then I recovered quickly and Do, did my is, normal. It, is there a porter in your ear? Like, I'm sorry, not a porter. Is the like producer, producer in? Yeah, producer in your ear. Like, okay, wrap it up. Time. Yeah. Like, are they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, it, you'll. I think if you went back and listened to it, you hear me kind of like talking, and then right at the last like ten seconds of my my like spiel. You hear me start talking really fast because they were like, wrap it up, wrap it up, like quickly. And so I still needed to get through like two paragraphs of like details because without those details, it feels unfair to the reporting angle of it. So I crammed them in real fast and and got out. Um, But no, I I couldn't believe the response. I didn't realize how many people watch Fox News. And I'm not saying that as a diss or anything like I guess I just didn't realize that I got off there and I had like 40 text messages from people all over the country. Holy crap. I just saw you. Holy crap. You're on Fox news. Oh my God. I love Tucker's show. And I was, I, I had no idea. That's and mostly amazing. because I don't watch news, like any news at all anymore because I'm always so busy. I watch, sometimes I'll watch like GMA in the morning and that's about it. And then I, I don't have time to watch. I've got yeah. two kids and coronavirus around everywhere. So I'm, I'm busy. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was insane. So what? Your Twitter was exploding. Your text messages exploding. Instagram, everything. like what? It was nuts. Yeah, everything was going off. Just everyone and a lot of people being like, "I didn't know what you've been doing since TMZ," and I'm like, "Well, I've been doing a lot of things since TMZ." But okay, <laughs> <laughs> very cool, man. You did great. You did well, great. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, you brought on some new uh, listeners. And if you're a new listener, if you're an old listener, we run the easiest contest out we there it's basically all you have to do is leave a review and thanks to our friends at primetime signatures autograph city uh if you leave us a review every week we call out one of our uh reviewers and we give them a signed autograph celebrity photo last week it was john travolta uh i mean we have tons of names so uh actually i don't have the names in front of me today so we're going to call out someone but they will be getting a good autograph because uh, I don't know what else we have. I don't have the autographs in front of me. However, we will read one reviewer, and that person will be getting an autograph. So if that person is you, uh, Dax is going to pick out a name right now. Send right. me a message on social media, and I will send you an autograph celebrity photo. Thanks for friends at Primetime Signatures and Autograph City on Facebook. Dax, who is the reviewer? Reviewer is JB Honey 5 uh, and I guess her actual name is Beth at the end. So it said, Beth said, enjoying your podcast and the guests you were interviewing. They actually, they are actually more in-depth and interesting than I expected. Your questions help bring out tidbits that we may not know or have heard about before. Keep up the good work. Beth from Daytona, Minnesota. Very or cool. Dayton, da- Minnesota. I don't know why I said Daytona. Dayton, I was about to say. Minnesota. Whatever, what, wherever you're from, <laughs> best send me a message, and you just no, want to. Okay, think hard. Who who else do we have in that pile? We got We got to give her someone. We can't leave her on that. Okay, how about? Hmm. Fuck, I forgot who we got. It. You know what? I'm in a good mood. I'm in a good mood, buddy. You know who I'm gonna pick out because I know we have it. I think we have another Matt Damon. Yes, we do. We totally do have another Matt Damon. We have another Matt Damon. So, best send me a message. You are getting a Matt Damon photo. Worth a lot of money, but it's very cool. I actually, again, last week we did John Travolta, this week's Matt Damon. We're on a roll right now. I'm just going <laughs> to give you Matt Damon. Uh, send me a message. You will get it. Uh, so, again, all you guys got to do is the easiest contest out there. Just leave a review, and you could possibly get an autographed photo. Today's guest is someone that we've been so excited to talk to. When me and Dax first 
sat down and said, we're going to do a podcast. This person is one of the first people we wanted on. We didn't realize, like, we tried so hard to get him on, and then we just found out we I, could get him pretty easy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, well, I don't know. I just went to the wrong people. But. I think we tried the, like, normal way, and it didn't work. And so we had to think outside the box, and we're able to track down his email and got a hold of him. And uh, yeah, obviously it's Mark McGrath, but uh, you see, you see it. You know, we're not hiding. It's Mark McGrath's our guest today. Dax, we, why we did... can't hide our excitement? That's the sad part. Like we're two little fanboys uh, with Mark McGrath, and uh, probably because we both have known him for many, many years through different, yes. various ways. And he's always come across as such a badass and just like fun to be around, a cool guy. So uh, I'm just excited to have him on. He's again, I agree with you. He's just. Every time I've been around this guy, he's always so cool, full of energy, fun, makes you feel great. And it's just like it's those little experiences that, you you know, you kind of like we're fans of him. And now we're sort of I mean, I wouldn't say friends with him because now we hang out with him, but I want to be friends <laughs> with him. But, you know, like we see each other. We're like, oh, Mark, what's up, buddy? But he's a, he's just like he's a good dude. He's every time I met around him, he's always a great guy. And he's one of those people that I feel like just is an open book when it comes to his stories. And in this, oh my God, we're get to the man. kissing of the ass for when he gets on. Jesus, no, I know, I can't. <laughs> All right, but guys, this guy. Hey, listen, we, today, we don't normally kiss ass, but I feel like now we kiss. We just ass. Genuinely like this guy, so we do. Uh, and, oh, guy, by the way, I've got a really good story for. I'm gonna save it for when he's on. But the first time I met him. So I'm going to tell you that story once he he's on with us. But our guest today is a radio show host, entertainment news host, but probably everyone knows him best as being a magi- music. God, I, how did I fuck up this thing? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, musician. <laughs> We've been trying to get him for a long time now. We're excited to have him. Mark McGrath, welcome to the program. I want to let you know. When we started this podcast, we were like, okay, who are people we would love to have on? And we've been trying to get you for so long. We've been trying to have you on the podcast. And it's because, A, we think you're a great dude. And, B, personally, I can say this. I think you're amazing at what you do. I'm a fan of the music. I'm a fan of when you host stuff because – you're not the average host. I feel like whatever you do, you could see the excitement in what you're doing. You show the passion in what you're doing, and it just shows in the work you do. And I was like, man, this guy's just, he's excited to be there. So you root for someone who's excited to be in the position rather than just hosting something, just bringing up the next project. So for that, I say thank you, Mark McGrath. <laughs> well, yeah. man, if I had known earlier I was going to get blown up like this, I would have I would have joined the first time you guys asked me. <laughs> Have you guys? Have you guys asked before? Because Dax, the first email I got about this at all, and I've been, you know, I've been following your podcast because I've been following you both forever, as you know. And we'll get into that. But it was the first time I was asked. I was, I was, I was pleasantly surprised to hear from you, and I'm like, no problem. So, so we were just able to track down your email. But so I, we've been trying to reach out on Twitter and trying other other modes of uh, to get your attention. But so, you know, we don't blame you because I, I got to imagine you get a ton of people tweeting you and stuff like that. So don't take it as as us annoyed. We were just trying so hard because we love you. Well, I, I appreciate that. I did recently change management, so maybe it got lost. I had a manager forever, like 26 years, so maybe it got lost in the minutiae. That would probably, probably bore in your audience, but I would never deny you too because you've always <laughs> been so great to me in uh, you know this whole crazy business we've all been in and fortunate to be in for so long. 
And that's what it is. It's hard to figure out who is like working for you because a lot of times people in this business say, and it goes with not just you, with a lot of celebrities, like, oh, I work for this person. And then it's like, okay, well, again, you can help. But then you find out they don't really work for the yeah. person. They're just connected to them or they know them or they just say they work for them. And there's so much bullshit in this industry that it's like, dude, like, just get me to the person that works for them. Just get me to their to the fucking. And assistant. you don't have, know how many times we've reached out to people like celebs, and we reach out to their manager, and their manager's like, "Nope, they're busy." And we go around them to the celeb, and celebs like, "I would love to do it, of course." What are you talking about? And there's so many cock blockers out there. It's amazing. Well, that's what you hire agents and managers for. You know, they're that <laughs> firewall. Because I'll say yes to anything. I'll be hosting a cat show in Pacoima tomorrow night. Believe me, but. Because I just, I'm like, kind of what you, you kind of alluded to, Adam, earlier, I'm just so grateful to still be here, you know, and doing what we do. And, um, you know, if, if, if someone reaches out to me and I'll do some podcasts, someone's got 300 followers and, and I'll join, I'll do his podcast because I remember when I got my break, man, you know what I mean? And I'm not saying I'm anybody's break, but if I can get back to anybody or it, it's, it's a pleasure. And it's almost something that you kind of have to return and in terms of your karmic duty, and I'm not some Tony Robbins new age guy, but you know, you, you pay it all forward, then you pay it all backwards. You know, it kind of works in a cyclical process. At least my career has. Well, that's why we wanted you on the podcast. Because first of all, again, like I say, I'm going to repeat myself. I'm going to keep sucking a dick all the whole podcast. <laughs> I think you're a great dude. That's fucking <laughs> loneliness pandemic. Man. But it's just like. <laughs> I we we I for some reason we're like dude we're like this guy is just a guy who he's he's lived such a good life and he's he'll tell people about it and that's what we always like to do so that's where we start my first question of the podcast when you go around Mark McGrath and people say oh my God I know you I love what, what which celebrity do you constantly get mistaken for like people say oh my God I love you or is there someone people say oh my God I love you but they mistake you for someone else Adam do you even have to ask that question. Being the man that I believe that asked the question to the certain someone I get compared to every day. And it's Ethan Hawke. Oh, oh, totally. Do you remember, was it you that did that? And, and it was on, I think, I think it was yes. TMZ. And, and Adam, I, I think you were, he was, he was walking in front of you and you're like, Mark, Mark. You know, because when I see you in New York and stuff back in the day, we'd always stop. And yeah, that's another thing about both of you, Dax and Adam. You have a friendliness to you. You always respected everybody's boundaries. And that is a way to get people to react. You know, you were just cool. You'd back in, you'd back out. You knew when to grab. You knew when not to. And it was always just an easy discourse. But I remember you were chasing down Ethan Hawke. you go, Mark, Mark, because you and I knew each other. <laughs> and then he turns around. He goes, I'm not Mark, bro. And, and I, was, was it you? Yes, it was me. It was right outside the Trump International Hotel. That was me. <laughs> and, I, and I go, this poor soul. Now, since Reality Bites, the movie came out, I, I used to look like him. I had the hair like I wanted to be Ethan Hawke. Let's, let's be honest. I still do. Uh, and he's been tortured by his comparisons to me because <laughs> look, he, he's an award-winning actor. He's a thespian. He's an, he's a, he's an author. He's, he's an he's a intelligentsia. He's got his own theater group. I'm the singer of Sugar Ray that plays County Fairs. And he gets <laughs> compared to me. In fact, I remember once, Dax, when I was an extra, and Katie Kirk was good friends with Lisa G. Now, yep. Lisa G runs all of Extra. She's run it with with uh, such uh, grace and eloquence for years and years. And she's, she, she gave me my break at extra. Uh, and she got Katie Kirk once, Ethan Hawke was on there 
and uh, they're talking about Ethan's book and his novel. And he's like, yeah, you know, it's a real cerebral novel about the New York attitude and the multi-layers, the way parents sometimes affect the children and all this stuff. And it was like, well, thank you, Ethan, uh, for joining us this morning. Oh, one, one last question. And they do a split screen of me and him. And, <laughs> and Katie Couric goes, Ethan, has anybody ever said you look like Mark McGrath? And you could just see him die a little bit. You could just see the soul. <laughs> but he was, he was very generous. He goes, uh, yes, yes, I've heard that before. I, it, it's been mentioned. And then Katie was just like, okay, all right, next up is, uh, you know, whatever. We take a look at, uh, you know, Rob Lowe or something. But it was on the Today Show of all things because Katie Couric was friends with Lisa G. They're actually were sorority. Uh, sisters, I believe, in college. So I think she threw that one in there because I was working at Extra at the time. And so I just want to apologize to Ethan Hawk, man. I mean, if you're going to compare it to somebody, at least you're going to be the guy in Smash Mouth. <laughs> that's, like, that's like Will Ferrell and uh, Chad Smith. They look so much alike. Dude, when they, when they, Jimmy Fallon, when they went on Jimmy Fallon and did, did that drum off, that, oh, I mean, that's so such a good. classic so piece of a comedy. So I remember that day, though, when I went up to Ethan Hawk and I was like, Mark. Mark, dude, it's me, Mark. And I was just like, what the fuck happened to Mark? And it, it was so, so awkward. And it was such a weird experience at all, dude. You know what's also what's so bizarre is too, is like when I'll go through airports or something like that, it happens more infrequent now. He's still skinny. I've gained 15 pounds, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, uh, you know, when he had a movie come out, say like Training Day or something, there would be TSA agents that would go, I love your movie with Denzel. And I'd be like, oh, God, you know, I wasn't in training. <laughs> but... They go, do you mind signing this? And it's like almost pre-phones. And I got to the point where I started signing his autograph because I didn't want people to think he was a dick for not signing the autograph. Because be, a couple of times I go, oh, man, it's not me. And it's, I'm, I'm not him. And they go, oh, it's cool, man. I'm not going to blow your cover. You know, I'm not, I wouldn't blow you up like that. I go, no, no, man, I'm really not Ethan Hawke. I'm like, no, no, really, okay. And they were thinking he was like, their meeting with Ethan Hawke was him being a dick to them. So I just started signing things and keeping it moving. That's so funny. That's awesome. They didn't look down and go, that's weird. Ethan Hawke signed his name Mark McGrath. That's bizarre. <laughs> why, is it, why is there no E at the end of Hawke on this one, man? <laughs> but no, I mean, it's, you know, there's, I've been called worse. Uh, and, you know, the guy's a great looking guy, incredible actor. So it's great on my end, but on his end, I imagine he's a little sick of it, like you saw in your piece. Oh, that's yeah. so oh, for funny. sure. And that was an honest mistake, too. Because you and I were homies. They were telling me, see each other, dude, what's up? And I was always cool. But I, I could see you going, what is wrong with Mark today, man? You know, I could see, because he had a hat on and stuff. You know, like yeah. I wear every now and then. So, so one thing that you said a long time ago that made me laugh was you said that you can't sing. You famously said, oh, I can't sing. So how the hell does a guy who supposedly can't sing make it in this industry and be so successful? Well, that's one of the great things about this industry, whether you're doing acting, hosting, or singing. I mean, the two out of three, I can't really do that well, and I've been overpaid for and successful <laughs> in hosting and singing. But let me tell you something. Some of the some of the singers, some of the superstar singers in the world don't have great singing voices, uh, but you can get by with the tone, you know? And when I started, when I got signed to Atlantic Records in 94, I didn't have a tone. I was screaming, I was rap rocking, I was singing in a falsetto. But then I heard what I got by Sublime. And, I, and I'd seen Sublime a bunch of times. We kind of grew up in Southern California, punk rock, reggae, sort of the, you know, the whole combination, the hybrid of all the hip hop, punk rock and reggae. And, and Sublime, if you're going to tell me Sublime was going to have a top 20 pop hit like in 90, 91, I would have said you're out of your mind. 
You know, you're out of your mind because they were jammed. They played 30 minute jam songs. You could tell Bradley was a genius, but it certainly wasn't something that was gonna have a perfect three minute pop slice that the masses were gonna uh, consume. And so when I heard what I, what I, what I got, I'm like, wow, that's incredible. So we reached out to the producer, David Kahn, who did what I got uh, when we did our second record. Atlantic Records was fortunate enough, we were fortunate enough for them to make a second record with us and that had Fly on it. Uh, and everything else in that record was the, Fly was the anomaly, everything was different. And I remember I was about to go in and sing Fly. It was the only song that really had a chance. It was the make or break cornerstone career maker. This was it. And I'm going in to sing the, the lyrics. We had the song about 90% done. And um, I'm about to sing. And David Kahn, who produced what I got, as I mentioned, from Sublime, he goes, hey, Mark, I got some good news and some bad news for you. And being the Irishman that I am, I go, well, give me the bad news first. And he goes, dude, you can't sing. <laughs> now this is a this is a successful producer. He'd done the Bangles, Walk Like an Egyptian. He'd, he'd done um, Fishbone, uh, obviously Sublime. So he knew what he was doing. He goes, but if you listen to me, and technology was starting to evolve in the mid '90s. Then a thing called Pro Tools that can make your grandmother sing like Mariah Carey was happening. <laughs> so he goes, if you just listen to me and just surrender, we're gonna piece by piece this whole fly thing. And not only. Am I going to give you a voice? We're going to sell 2 million copies off this song. So wow. I just surrendered to him in the booth. And that's exactly what we did. He showed me my voices. He goes, dude, your, your voice is right here. It's not, it's not a broad voice. It's not a multi-octave voice. You have a tone. It's your, almost your talking voice. Let's, let's, let's hone in on that. And we did. And that's how I found my voice, which led to every morning and Sunday. So Dax, when I say I can't sing, I'm not being like, you know, I'm not, I'm not being humble or anything like that. I'm just saying I, I really... If I want American Idol, I'd be, I wouldn't even get past the audition rounds. But I found a tone. Bob Dylan has a tone. Anthony Kiedis has a tone. You know, so uh, I, I'm not comparing myself to either one of those two. <laughs> I'm just saying not everybody's traditionally a great singer that's, uh, that has uh, been able to make it. And I banged on more doors and I heard more no's than most people in the industry. So there's also something to be said for that. Yeah. Well, then you guys actually opened for Kiss. Am I right? Mm -hmm. How the hell do you guys open for Kiss, and how did they, the Kiss fans treat you guys? Well, it was kind of the coolest thing in the world. Um, in 1996, our first record, Lemonade and Brownies, came out. A lot of people don't know, we had a record out before Floored that had Fly on it. Uh, back then, labels would actually develop a career. They wouldn't just drop you immediately if you uh, failed on your first record. We were close to being dropped, don't get it wrong, but we had a little bit of success in Europe, and we got on the Howard Stern show. That, uh, it, it kind of peaked Atlantic ears and said, you know what, let's try and capitalize on the peak momentum of this band and let them make a second record. Um, so that, that's what we did. But in 96, when that first record, Lemonade and Brownies, came out, Kiss uh, went on the reunion tour where they put the makeup back on. It was a big, gigantic, it was a tour of the, the year. And what, they, what Kiss has always been so gracious in doing is giving young bands, bands that aren't big, a chance to play in, with Kiss. Now, it works twofold. A, they look magnanimous and great. Like, oh, Kiss is so cool. They're giving young bands a chance. But it's also the old Colonel Tom Parker philosophy. Elvis always had jugglers opening for him for a reason. Because no one was going to blow Kiss off the stage. So they'd have bands like, I remember the Deftones opened for Kiss back then. We did Monster Magnet, uh, a band called Sponge, a band called the Nixons. So they were giving all these young bands that had mid-label deals a chance to open for Kiss. So we did, this is before Fly even came out. And I think kind of what you alluded to, my enthusiasm being on stage kind of carried us over. 
I don't want to say we, we, we won the audience over, but they were amused. It was kind of like they let four puppies onto a stage. Like, oh, <laughs> this is cute. We'll let you go. And then we walked down the steps and there was Gene and Paul right there in full makeup. They took pictures. They were awesome. They were great. So if that would have been the pinnacle and the peak of Sugar Ray's career, that would have been more than enough and more than we deserved. But thankfully, you know, a year later we had Fly, and that's why I'm talking to you two gentlemen right now. Now, is Fly are you, Fly would be the most successful song, or would it be Every Morning? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, they kind of go back and forth in our Spotify streaming things, and they just they, they every, every other month it'll be Every Morning and Fly. So I think they've kind of both had the same kind of success. They both were number ones. And we were in a really precarious position after Fly came out, because as I mentioned, it was unlike anything else on the record floor. You know, it was this lilting, melodic, Beach Boys, reggae-ish type tune. And we were starting to find our songwriting chops. So naturally, we got better songwriters. And we were starting to write songs that meant something to people. Instead of songs about beer and cars, which are fine, we started writing about feelings. And more people reacted to it. And we were getting better songwriters. So it was a perfect storm. Um, but as soon as Fly happened, people were so quick to say, hey, enjoy your one-hit wonder. I mean, Fly was still top 10, and people were calling us one-hit wonders. We're like, wait, we just got here. Uh, so, <laughs> Let us enjoy our moment, damn it. Right. No, they tell, we, it will go away, believe me. I, I'm, I'm the best at making fun of us, believe me. So let me just enjoy this moment for a second. <laughs> uh, and then it did go away. We didn't have a follow-up single. Uh, and then every morning, by the grace of God, our creative peaks were at its pinnacle right then. And we came up with uh, Every Morning, which was another number one song. And then Sunday we got to number three, which was another blessing. And then Falls Apart was a big song on 1459. And that went triple platinum and sold more than Ford that had Fly on it, which was, I mean, which was so against the odds at the time. If you... You know, I mean, I called the record 14 minutes, 59 seconds as an ode to Andy Warhol's Everybody Gets Their 15 Minutes. Yep. Look, we'll get their 15 minutes of fame in the future. And boy, was he ever right about that. But I, I said it as an insurance policy by titling the record that because if the record failed, it's the best title of all time. And if the record succeeds, it's the best title of all time. Yet you sold three million records. So, you know, like I said, we're always the first to make fun of ourselves. Uh, but every morning... Fly meant the world to me because it made my dreams come true. But every morning's right there with me as well because it meant to me that we're going to be around here for a while. We might actually have a career doing this. So I don't call songs our babies because I have children. There's a big difference. You know, my songs, <laughs> my songs never cried to me at night. Um, and my songs also deliver me checks every quarter. My kids don't. So there's a big difference. Yeah, so do you still get paid a lot of money on like just a song like every morning, every quarter? Like, do you just get a check in the mail? How does that work? You know, you don't, you know, it's not, you're still more than compensated. And I kind of look like a pension plan. And we, uh, there's four or five people that were involved in all the Sugar Ray songs. You know, some wrote more than others. So it's not like I'm Johnny Resnick and I wrote the Google Dolls catalog by myself. I can't imagine the royalties he much received. But yeah, it's a nice chunk of change. And we were lucky enough recently to just break even with Atlantic where we got our masters back. So now we co-own our masters. So we're getting paid twice. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, with the songs that I've written uh, and I'll have people hate me more than they probably already do, you know, make it about six figures a year just on uh, royalties. And, and, and wow. you know, I, I, I'm so blessed, especially now during the quarantine when, when playing live has been taken away and I'm in a non-essential business that requires people to gather. I don't know when the next time I'm going to work is. So, you know, cameos and these pensions, these, uh, these royalties <laughs> that kept me alive. Uh, 
but you, you got to write a big, they got to be big songs. You know, they got to yeah. be number one type songs to kind of get that real money. And if you get a licensing from TV or a commercial, you know, it's a really lucky position to be in. Now, mind you, it's split a couple ways, but you know, you could, you could eke out about six figures if you've uh, written four top tens, two number ones, you know? <laughs> I love it. That's amazing. <laughs> you know what, I, what I've always wondered, because like you said, you had these massive, massive songs. You guys were going on tour. What does someone like, what does the band Sugar Ray have on their rider when they show up to a venue? And this is, you know, I'm talking, you guys are the biggest things out there. So you can pretty much put anything down on your rider and people are going to make it happen. So what, what did you have on your rider? I think what's interesting about writers and what people have to understand when you send a writer in, you're also sending a production writer in, which means what you need to be on stage, equipment wise, lighting wise. So people will really make their dressing room uh, writers a little bit interesting and colorful to make sure you're paying attention to the production writer. You know, if you forget the red solo cups in the dressing room, I think there's going to be a problem in the venue. So when you hear about all these peccadillos and, and sort of indulgence in, in writers, there is a method to the madness. Now, having only green M&Ms in a bowl, that's a little excessive. I will, I will, <laughs> I will acquiesce to that. But one thing we always did, and people found this very interesting and a bit bizarre, is we always had underwear and socks on our rider. Because there's nothing more disgusting than taking around dirty, wet underwear and socks with you, you know? So <laughs> what was a huge luxury at the Pika Sugar A, uh, you'd walk in, you'd see like, you know, boxers or whatever you wore and socks right there. And it was just a small joy, you know, <laughs> we're number one on the charts, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're buying houses and stuff like the underwear is here. It's backstage, get in there in a fresh underwear. So I think that's the strangest thing, but we didn't, I don't like playing games with promoters and stuff. I'm really grateful that, 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 you know, they took a chance on us, you know, not all promoters make money on shows, you know, there, there's a really low yield for them to be successful. So we wouldn't, we wouldn't, um, We'd make sure they were, uh, they were definitely, uh, you know, comprehensive going over the rider, but we wouldn't do anything that crazy. But people always thought having socks and underwear was kind of crazy. And I thought that was crazy. They think it was crazy when I kind of explained to them the situation, you know. But, of course, we had to have the Jameson, the vodka, you know, the usual suspects. Come on. <laughs> what, what was harder, performing drunk or, like, a little stoned? I've never performed drunk. What are you talking about? <laughs> Right after they delivered the Jameson, but I've never performed. You start drunk. repeating lyrics. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I always say this about the road. Uh, you don't do the road; the road do, does you. Meaning that when you're young and bushy-tailed and and full of wanderlust and wonder, and you're being on the road for the first time, you know, you go hard for the first couple nights. You don't know how to tour, and then you know, four days into it, you've got six hangovers you haven't felt yet. You got about six more months of touring in front of you. So you either quickly learn how to do the road subjectively or you get eliminated. Yep. Now, whatever that means, whether people get addicted, people, you know, they just can't handle it. They, 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 there's internal fighting amongst the band. So you really got to watch that stuff. Now, that being said, it took me a long learning curve to figure out <laughs> where my sweet spot was in terms of, uh, you know, I've been, on, I've been on stage when I shouldn't have been on stage. I've made mistakes. I've done stupid things. But, you know, I, I, I got it down to a science. And when it became a business, you better get it down to a science. And so I kind of figured out, you know, I'm going to pop into a Jameson before we go on because, look, we're throwing a party. You know, that's what Sugar Ray does. We're throwing a party, and there is a mindset we want to get into. You know, I haven't been on stage every time drunk. We'd like to have some fun and go out there and have a good time, just like the audience does. And I might have one or two on stage. You know, it's kind of like a Jimmy, 
a Jimmy Buffett type vibe. We used to have a bartender, a working bar and bartender on stage, you know. That's amazing. Uh, and I, what was funny is when we first went on tour, our first tour we ever went on was with Corn. Believe it or not, Corn, Sugar Ray, and the Lords of Brooklyn. And Corn was sponsored by Jägermeister for about four days. <laughs> they figured out maybe we shouldn't have the uh, Jägermeister keg backstage before the show. So it kind of goes back to what I'm saying. You kind of figure out how to do the road, not how it does you. I've, I've always wondered because Fly came out in what, 97? So Fly came out in 97. You have been performing that song for many, many, many years. Do you ever get tired of singing the song over and over again? Or is it like you love the song, so you just, it's all good because you see the people's reaction? Never once have, would I get sick of playing these songs that mean so much to people. The word nostalgia to me is an, an amazing word. I look up in the dictionary, it's just all positive adjectives. For some reason, and I've got a theory about it, which I do about everything, nostalgia, when it's associated with music, is, oh, it's kind of sad. You know, the band's nostalgic. Oh, I welcome that. Are you kidding me? You mean you've had good times to the music of Sugar Ray? You mean it means something to you? You mean uh, it was the first song your child ever sang? Those are lifetime memories that somehow we were indirectly a part of. Now, I understand why it's nostalgic, and I'll tell you why, why it could be interpreted as being sad in the music business. You get to watch us grow old on stage, and it ain't always pretty. People are losing their hair, the belly goes out, but they're still rocking their leather pants, and they shouldn't be. You know, you age on stage. We're in sports. You can't age on the NBA floor. Michael Jordan would be playing basketball tonight if he could, I promise you. And there's not an athlete that's been playing in the major leagues or any professional sports that wouldn't be. So I, you get to watch people grow old in the music business. And I think that's why nostalgia kind of gets attached to it. That being said, I am so honored to ever have a, a hit song in my life. You're going to hear it exactly like you want to hear it. I, I don't, I'm not from the school of where there's some kind of animosity or a band looks at their hits as, oh gosh, what a burden to have to play this. Um, or let's do a reinterpreted version of this hit song while 90% of the people are watching us. I and mean, it's very self-indulgent to me, you know? It's our job, I think, to perform these hit songs how people want to hear them. Because yeah. as a fan, that's what I want to hear too. A, I don't want to hear your new shit either. And B, play me the songs like I want to hear them. Uh, and so we've always subscribed to that philosophy is playing the songs as you hear them. And it's also a drug, Dax and Adam. When you look out and you see people, and you know, I'll look at couples and I'll look at people or someone sitting by themselves in the grass and they're like, I mean, I've seen people crying and, and they're, you can see them, it's taking them back to a place, a better place. You know, I can see like drunken moms that were drinking four wine coolers that hate their husbands are going, I just want to fly. They're <laughs> hugging each other, you know, and it's it's a beautiful thing, you know. So be it far from me to rob anybody of that. And and not that it's a special privilege to go to Sugar A show, but it's a special privilege to have anybody come see us play. Yeah. And that's where the rub lies, where a lot of bands don't understand that. So, but I do understand, you know, when you start hanging your hat on the nostalgia coat hook. You can't take it off again. And there's a lot of people that still think they're Kurt Cobain in 90s bands. There's a lot of people that still think they're relevant. And just go listen to your last five new records, bro, if you think you're relevant. And I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to anybody. I mean, there's a reason why people are still coming to see you if you were playing in the 90s. And it's not because you had a hit last week. Yeah. yeah. Well, 
you've been famous now for over 20 years. You know, it's, you've had a great career. You've done many things. What is the hardest part about fame, in your opinion? You know, I had a level of fame in the 90s that was beginning to get a little crazy. You know, uh, I never had a fame like Britney Spears or Justin Timberlake. Never had a higher security. And we had security guy that worked around Sugar Ray. But I don't like entourages. I don't like security and stuff like So thank God I didn't get to that level. You know, you kind of become a prisoner of your own fame, you know. Because um, I'm a guy that walks amongst the people. I always have. It's what I do. I don't expect anything from anybody. I don't cut in the line. It's not my thing. So I've enjoyed the, the perks of fame. Getting a nice table is awesome, you know. Uh, and those are great. But I, I've got the type of fame that's like, oh, hey, bro, what's up? You know, there's nothing threatening about me. There's nothing like, you know, which is, it's kind of a nice thing. So the fame to me, it's just, it was a fun thing to hang my hat on. You know, I was the sexiest rocker of 98. You knew that was going to go away and it went away quickly. You know, it can go away as quickly as you want it to. I was on the cover of Rolling Stone for Christ. I remember that. You know, it doesn't get much bigger than that. So I had a real cup of coffee with that A-list fame train for a while. And it was a lot of fun. You know, it was great. And, you know, am I saying I don't want to still be there because I can't be there? I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't my choice to leave. But yeah. um, you, you know what I mean? I'm sort of I'm happy where it's sort of it's people know who I am. I get all the perks of any like C-list fame I, 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 or D-list fame I, I want. But I don't have to have the mucky muck or the insanity of it all. I can go to my kid. I can coach my kids basketball. You know, I, I'm just another person at the school. I'm a dad first and foremost. You know, my celebrity doesn't judge me, and it, it's just it's like a very comfortable one on my end. And I think it's a comfortable one on people receiving it. So I've never really had really. There's a couple, you know, stalker weirdnesses for a little bit, but it was just that, that was years ago. So it's a very comfortable sort of level of fame in that. Right okay, now. well, what was your like your best? I'm famous story like that moment that you realize holy shit like I've officially made it was it playing on, on stage before kiss is it hanging with Madonna is it on the cover rolling so like what was that moment for you that you're like holy shit I can't believe I'm, I'm here I'm in the business hanging with Madonna that was a good one you know what I mean that was and then there was like Mark McGrath going out with Madonna and you knew I just fanned that flame I'm still <laughs> that flame you know? I still won't deny that or, or confirm it. Are you kidding me? I'm riding that one forever. I love her. She's awesome. Great person. Uh, I'll give you the scoop. Nothing ever romantically happened with her. Lovely girl. She actually kind of had like a, uh, I think she took like a maternal sort of, she kind of saw me like maybe going off the rails a little bit and had to, some really good advice for me when I needed it. Uh, you know, being in a room with uh, Lars Ulrich, Tim Robbins, Kid Rock, Sean Penn, um, you know, uh, Courtney Love in New York City at 6 a.m. What were you guys just partying or what? No, we were watching the news. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, where were you? You can't just you can't say you were in the room. Like, were you guys at a club? Were you at a house? New York City, New York City hotel room. And it was, you know, it, and those were the days when they had like five rooms, uh, five levels of rooms. And like, I was looking around. I'm going, where's the, where's the like loser here? And I, I'm like. Oh, I'm the loser here. I'm, I'm the dude. I mean, it was like Oscar winners. Like, you know, it was, I, like I said, I had a cup of coffee in that rarefied air for a while. And, you know, there, there was a bunch of little moments like that. You know, walking through the airport and seeing you on the, yourself on the cover of Rolling Stone. You know, I, I felt like I was in Magic Mountain when you got the, you know, time, man of the year on those little kiosks. You can make yeah. fake covers of yourself. I mean, it felt like that. 
you know, getting a gold record in the hollowed halls of Atlantic Records in New York City from Ahmed Erdogan was like, boop, pinch yourself moment. And then opening for the Rolling Stones in Las Vegas, when every morning was number one, and I looked to my right, and on the trellises to the right, kind of where the monitor guy is, Mick and Keith were doing this. Just sit, just sitting, leaning on it. Oh, that's so cool. So cool. Yeah, and I'm like, it might not get gnarlier than this moment right here. I mean, I, I was smart enough, because my fame happened a little later. I was 29 when Fly hit. So like, I was very cognizant of, we might never not be here again. So I was trying to soak up and make sure every beer got drunk and backstage and, and trying to indulge myself every moment because it was so much fun. So I've had some of those pinch me moments. And, and you know, there's things like, you know, I, I look back at some of the things. I just saw something where I was hosting an MTV award with J-Lo. You know, and back then that was no big deal. I mean, today it'd be like, oh my God, I'm hosting something with J-Lo. So there was a ton of those moments in like 99 when things were really going crazy, but that's what comes with the number one song. You know, those, that's what the territory is. That's the rarefied air you hang out with and that sort of, and then taking private planes with, you know, and stuff like that. So it's been a lot of those moments, you know? And then when yeah. you see yourself coming out the other end, you're like, oh, I'm back on South West again. All right. <laughs> At least you got to come back down. We've been still waiting to go back up, so... <laughs> I watched both you two ascend forever. You're still ascending. I love, dude, when you, like, you know, I'm a Stern Show guy. I, I, I loved when you, you know, would go against Hank the Drunken Dwarf and music trivia because you are a rock and roll historian. Um, from the year, from all the rockers you've kind of met over the years, who was the best one to hang out with? The one you just enjoyed most? Uh, first of all, I'm going to qualify Adam for Howard Stern fans. I did lose to Hank. The Angry Dwarf. Hank was like the brain man when it came to that, though. He was insane. But I'm going to qualify his knowledge because rock and roll trivia makes me angry because rock and roll trivia is in what's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is everything from punk rock to hip hop. Hank knew everything from 1968 to 1977. He knew the roadie from Spooky 2, and then he knew the cars, and then he didn't know anything about hip hop. He knew nothing about punk rock. You know, <laughs> so you have to be all, you have to be all knowing to hang in rock and roll trivia. That being said, I did lose to him. For sure. Now, getting back to your question, <laughs> I, I, I have met some of the loveliest people in, in music, but a guy who's actually became a friend of mine is Uncle Cracker. Okay. Uncle Cracker is the nicest. I mean, all those Detroit guys, for some reason, like this fame thing never, even Kid Rock, it doesn't get to them. You know, I know everybody has their politics. I'm not getting away in politics and that, but I'm talking personality-wise. Something about people from the D. They just don't, they take it differently. They're built, they're built different and they're, they've got manners and they've got heart. And so Uncle Cracker's just been this incredible friend of mine for such a long time. But, you know, I, that being said, you know, I, I've got the privilege of playing in a band with Dave Navarro, who's just such a lovely, wonderful guy. Someone whose public perception is so much different than the man is. Dave is the most lighthearted, funny guy, quick-witted. You guys have interviewed him. He's just a good guy. So... You know, I've had the, I've had, I've really had the, the joy of hanging with so many people. And then, like an idol of mine, I love the Sex Pistols. I named my son Lydon after Johnny Rotten, whose name's John Lydon. And Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols is a good friend of mine. So I, I don't know. It might not be these A-listers to everybody else or everybody else's, you know, fantasy of people. But I, I, I've had the chance. But there's also friends of mine like David Spade. David Spade. I agree with you. One of the coolest guys out there. He's so fun, so good to have a conversation with. Has great stories, so funny, and he's he's the best. You got a good Spade story? Yeah, well, I don't have a great David Spade story. Just 
I want to say how great David Spade is. I mean, also, you know, you meet a lot of comedians. A lot of comedians aren't funny. You know what I mean? Like, they're kind of dark and they're kind of like, you know, you're like, wow, you know, where's yeah. the guy I saw? David Spade is always David Spade. He can't help be himself. And what's so great about David Spade is like, you know, sometimes I get invited to these highfalutin parties every now and then, you know, and I'll walk in there and they'll be like, Lenny Kravitz, David Spade, Robert De Niro, Jack Nicholson, and Spade will go, Mark, come over here, and like, welcome you there. Now, there'll be other people I know on a level that wouldn't invite me over there because I wouldn't fit in that crew, you dig? Where Spade is like, he never prioritizes, He's oh, you're, you're always his friend, you always know where you stand, and it's just a sign of a good guy, you know, and David's just, he's just the best, I love him for that, you know? Let me ask you this, though, as a person who's you know, well-known, people know who you are. Is it awkward for you when you go to a restaurant and you see another famous person and you both know each other, but you might not know each other, like you've never really met, but you guys know who each other are. Is it awkward for that kind of run-in for you or how does it go down? Isn't that Spade's joke when he says like, even Spade said something about that, like when a, fam <laughs> when a famous person or a celebrity sees another celebrity, you gotta, you have to go talk to him. And like, and you would never talk to somebody you didn't know before. You know what I mean? It's so bizarre. <laughs> it's but true. I, I, look, I'm a fan of people. You know what I mean? But I also like to bother someone. So if I, I mean, it would depend the level of fame. If I saw a big head from 90 Day Fiance, I'm running over there. You know what I mean? You know, if I see him, I'm running over there and high-fiving him. Will you ask him when you see him, can you ask him to check his DMs? Because we've been trying to get him too. <laughs> Dude, you just got to get him on Cameo. I know. Dude's awesome. He is so great. But yeah, no, I, I can imagine. You know, it... it it's always funny when I see guys like that, that like, you know, they get their pop of fame and you know, his thing is like, I just love my fans, you know? And I'm like, your fans, like you're really, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> but, but I, what I want to say to him is enjoy this moment. This big moment Ed. right now. <laughs> big Ed's a good, but I'm obsessed by 98 fiance. So all those folks I go join. But if I saw someone like, you know, Sir Anthony Hopkins, I, 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 I would, I would do the, the proper deference and not bother the man, you know, <laughs> which is uh, kind of how I worked that. I don't assume people know who I am. So I, I don't really do that, which, which where everybody knows who David is, you know, so there's a different, there's level to this stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I respect the level. I respect the levels. Is there any celebs that you actually run into quite often being in California? Um, you know, I'm out here in the Valley now. Can you believe that? Of all things, I'm out here in uh, studio city. So, I do see a lot of, uh, you know, people now and then, but, you know, since becoming a dad, dude, I don't run around as much as I used to. You know, I drop my kids off at school. I, I do their, you know, I, I become, I've become that boring ass dad, you know, um, and I travel so much that when I'm home, I'm home. I don't want to go out and hang in Hollywood. I'm look, I, I'm in the hall of fame of partying in Hollywood. I don't need to go back in there. I've seen it, done it, you know, brought the t-shirt, have the jersey hanging on the wall. Um, but yeah, so there's not, I mean, I don't run into a lot of people out here necessarily, but I see a lot of my musician friends all the time because, you know, it's what I do for a living, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but it is, it is fun because I'm playing this band called Royal Machines. It used to be called Camp Freddy. And you never know who's going to be playing with us. So, uh, you know, we'll do these great corporate events for say like IBM or Home Depot. I'll be like, who's on the list tonight? They'll be, oh, it's Billy Idol, Ozzy, and Post Malone. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know, so... You know, I, I still get to maintain this fan enthusiasm, but still have this like golden ticket to somehow come in the back door and be part of it all. You know, yeah. and it's just something that I've never really lost. I don't have a lot of celebrity friends, so I'm trying to tell you, I'm still a fan, you know. I've kept my same friends. You know, you know my buddy McGee? McGee's been my best friend for like oh, 45 years now, the director. 
you know, he directed all of our videos. He did Charlie's Angels. He's he did the OC. And, um, yeah. You know, so he's someone I, 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 you know, I dance with who I brought. You know, I've got my wife who I've been going out for 26 years, my friends for over like 35, 40 years. So I, I'm, I'm kind of happy in my bubble, you know? Yeah. How did you get the job at Extra? You know, you weren't, I guess that was your first hosting thing, but then you came on and like I said in the beginning, you came on and you weren't the average host. It was like, here's a guy who's just excited to be there. And I think that's why people enjoyed watching you and you being there because you were are a fan plus it was such like a a turn from being like the musician rock star and you were kind of like the first i would say like host of an entertainment show and everyone's like oh i didn't see you at that role and then you crushed it so like yeah how did you land there you guys are both being nice and kind it is an interesting story and a i still ask myself every day how the hell did i ever host extra for four years because you know my manager knows me very well well my manager back then he just said look it's a meeting it's not an audition just go say hello and we had just come off a record that, let's just say, didn't set the world on fire. And the writing was kind of on the wall for bands of, I like to say, my fraternity, the Everclears of the world, the Jim Blossoms, the Smash Mouths, the Vertical Horizons. We were kind of falling out of favor on radio because, uh, because you know, radio is cyclical. You know, your little brother doesn't want to listen to what your big brother was listening to. And like, it was just, we were kind of falling out of favor on radio. A couple guys in our band had kids and kind of wanted to stop the record uh, tour cycle. So I kind of returned some phone calls that were at my manager's office. And one of them was an extra. And he said, listen, it's just a meeting. Just go there and say hello. What do you got to lose? Like, all right. You know, I've, I've seen the show a little bit. You know, my wife watches it. My then girlfriend. I'll check it out. I didn't know it was an audition. I got there. They put the mic in my hand. They go, well, just check out what the stage feels like, you know. And, and I, I go, yeah, all right, cool. And they go, well, just read that. And I go, all right, hey, tonight in Hollywood. And, and I was just reading it. I was so laxed and like at ease. I didn't even, I was just joking around, you know? I was the best host I ever was that day. And the day <laughs> I left there four years later, because I wasn't, I didn't care. I didn't know what was going on. And then they had Jason Momoa come in. Now, this wasn't Jason Momoa of Aquaman. This was Jason Momoa of Baywatch Hawaii Nights, I think. And I don't think they were even going to put him on the show. They just had me interview him for a uh, for just a little fake interview to see if I could interview him. They, they go, hey, will you talk to Jason for a little bit on the couch? I go, yeah. I go, this was like an audition almost. But I know it's not. So anyway. Uh, and he had like a traditional Polynesian, like, you know, uh, uh, garb on and all that. And you just see Jason Momoa, beautiful guy, really nice guy. Uh, and we just got along really well because he's just, he makes you look good. He's one of those guys, you guys interviewed him. He's just a really generous, funny guy. We got along famously. So it was a perfect storm of me not caring, not knowing it was an audition, and having Jason Momoa make me look better than I deserved to be. Uh, so I went, hey, thanks, guys. That was fun. Um, you know, I appreciate you having me. Maybe our next record, I'll come and you guys can, I'll give you the privilege of interviewing me or something. You know? <laughs> so I left, and two weeks later, they called and they go, listen, Mark, we want you to host the show. And I go, what are you talking about? And then I, uh, and I quickly figured out with my manager, I go, oh, that was an odd, what? So lo and behold, I found myself taking this so-called meeting and then two weeks later, I was hosting a nationally syndicated entertainment news show called Extra. I had no idea what I was getting into. And I come from the stage where everything's a big move. You know, you want to hit the last person in the row. You want to hit the last person in the back of the venue. So everything's big, right? On Extra, everything's small. Everything's like an eyebrow move. Like Clint Eastwood made a career out of an eyebrow. So I had to learn to stop being a spaz, which I am. So it took a long time to learn how to be a host at, at Entertainment News. And I know people kind of like, 
who aren't involved in entertainment news, like we all know, they're some of the most hardworking people I've ever met in my life. Most hustling, uh, smart, problem solving, putting out fires left to right. You know, you walk into that morning, there's no show. Half hour later, they're putting a show together. So I, I was just amazed by the professionalism and talent of the people there and by the host as well. It took a while for me to figure it out, how to navigate the world. And, you know, I sucked when I began. It was proven. I remember I've told the story before, but six months into working at Extra, I was at a 7-Eleven and I was getting a coffee about 6 a.m. I was working at Extra, so I wasn't partying. Uh, and I walked in and I got a coffee and some guy with a neck tattoo. And this was 2004 when it was still kind of scary back then. And he kind of like looked like he'd been up all night. He comes over to me and he goes, hey, hey, what's up, Mark? And I go, hey, bro, what's up? Please don't hurt me. He goes, hey, he goes, hey, man, you sucked when you started, but you're getting better at extra. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, bro, that's the biggest compliment you could ever give me. So. I just kind of backed into that job. Long story longer. I just, I just got, you know, I, I got lucky with Lisa G who I mentioned, who, who she was at a tunnel vision that she was going to give me the shot. It wasn't what telepictures wanted. It wasn't from what I learned later. It wasn't what most of the people at extra wanted, but Lisa G said, this is my guy. I don't care. I can make him happen. And, and, and I, by the grace of God, she gave me that chance and I'm glad she did. You know, it was something I enjoyed doing. If our last record had sold 10 million copies, I wouldn't have done it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, music is what I love to do, performing is what I love to do, but the opportunity presented itself and I got a, a set of tools in my back pocket called hosting that I got to bring out every now and then. So I'm forever grateful to the whole team at Extra for giving me that shot. What was your most memorable experience while hosting a news entertainment show like Extra? Was there one like, man, I'm fucking, this is great. I'm enjoying it. There was a few, you know, the, my first interview ever, and Dana Devon, I love you, know, Dax, you remember Dana, she's just, oh, yeah. great. I love Dana, she's just, uh, she's amazing, and it's great to see her on TV out here in LA again, doing her thing, she looks better than ever, she's doing some psycho CrossFit workout where she like, looks like she's 20, but I couldn't have asked for a better co-host partner and someone than Dana, uh, and my first thing at Extra was the Emmys, it wasn't a show, it wasn't a regular show. It was the Emmys. You go backstage and you interview people when they're coming back after they win their awards. So William Shatner is coming backstage and he wins his Emmy for Boston Legal. And Dana, being the jokester she is, she goes, and I was very shy. I go, oh, Dana, I don't want to interview. Please, she goes, just William Shatner is very easy to deal with. You take William. Just ask him how he feels. Just talk to him. It's very simple. And I go, okay, Dana would never steer me wrong. And so here comes William Shatner, comes down there. And I go, hey, William, how do you feel? And he looks at me, he goes like, right back to me. And I went like, interview experience. He could have been cool. He could have like let me off the hook, but he went right back to me. And I just went, ah! I go, bro, it's my first time. I'm in a band, give me work with me here. And so he kind of took mercy on me, but of course, Dana was, falling on the ground laughing because she knew William Shatner can go either way with him. You know, you yeah. never know what's going to go on. But uh, that my first one was definitely memorable. But I mean, I had so many great experiences. I got to, you know, when you're on the red carpet at the Oscars and you're working with something like extra, man, when you see that Halle Berry go by and you see Brad Pitt, I mean, it's hard to get lost. It's not, you feel like you're in the stands. Like, it's Brad Pitt. Oh my God. You know, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. So, uh, but I remember it, it teaches me a lesson in humility. George Clooney, who you both have dealt with, uh, is, we've talked about gentlemen before. That man would start 
at the uh, European press way down the line. And he would do everybody until the last red carpet guy would be like the USC Trojan Daily. He would do everyone. And I'm talking to George Clooney and we're talking. And I'm like, are we fake best friends right now? Are we going to exchange numbers after this? So, yeah, so, you know, are we friends? I mean, that's how great he is. So, so many great memories. And then I'll give you two more quick ones because, you know, I love to tell quick stories. Uh, Brian Wilson has a record coming out called Smile. And it's the long lost Beach Boys classic. Brian Wilson finally got around to finishing in 2008, I believe. And he was doing interviews. Now I had the unfortunate uh, position of uh, interviewing him last that day. And Brian Wilson is a, dip is a different kind of interview. You get what you get if you get anything. So I'm the biggest Beach Boys fan ever. He wrote God Only Knows, which is my favorite song of all time. Uh, you get five minutes with him. Like I said in the last one, I see Billy Bush come out. You know, he's all excited and happy. Oh, I got so much information. He's all Billy Bushing out. Um, <laughs> and so I walk in there all scared and nervous, you know. And uh, uh, Brian Wilson comes in. There's a piano. He only does his interviews at a piano. He starts playing God Only Knows on piano. I, I shit you not. He's playing that. I go, oh, my God. Now, the, the song's about two minutes and 30 seconds. And I knew I, not, I need to get some stuff out of him because I have five minutes with him. So I have to interrupt him during this angelic song that, that I want to hear. So I, I go, hey, uh, hey, Brian, you know, God only knows, man. I mean, what a classic. It's uh, like a religious experience to me. It's probably my all-time favorite song. And he stops playing and looks at me and goes, food. And he walked off. <laughs> and that was it. That was my Brian Wilson interview right there, which is my worst and greatest interview. And my last interview that kind of let me know this wasn't for me, Al Pacino's doing an interview, at, uh, Al Pacino's doing a play at the Pasadena Art House. And it's about Macbeth or something, you know, something that we're never gonna show on Extra in a million years, you know, not his, not his methodology, not how it came together, nothing. But Brittany and Kevin had just broken up. So I'm asking him seven of these questions oh about the play. Oh. Uh, what are you doing in Hamlet? You know, how did you decide in the third act and all these things? And he's answering with, you know, aplomb and, and energetic. And I go, here it comes, here it comes. Hey, Al, uh, you know, we're extra and our viewers are, are you know, they're, they're sort of, uh, you know, they're compelled by this information. What do you think about Kevin and Brittany breaking up? Oh, and he looks, uh. at, he looks at me and he goes, you're better than that. And just walked away. <laughs> oh. <laughs> died that day it's on a red carpet and the huntington hotel out there in pasadena but uh so those were some of my most memorable experiences i had a ton of them you guys but those are the ones that kind of stick out in my mind well let me let me tell you my most memorable experience at extra because i did an internship at extra a gazillion years ago adam and um that's how i actually met mark and i remember being I was in college and so I was going up to extra and my first day I get there and I, I meet some of like, I think it was the makeup and hair guys, Sean and Keith. And it, they were like the nicest guys. And I remember them saying, Oh, like, do you want to see the set? Do you want to see them like actually film the show? And I'm in college. I'm like, hell yeah. I want to see this. This is amazing for me. And they walk me in and they introduce me to Mark and Dana out on the set. And, um, like four hours later, I'm in the parking lot and Mark goes to leave. Keep in mind, like, Mark's a huge star. I'm a, this little intern and he goes to leave. I think you're in a Range Rover or something like that. And he actually stops, rolls down his window. He's like, hey, it was really nice to meet you, Dax. I hope you have a wonderful day. 
I literally shit my <laughs> pants, you guys. This was like the first celebrity to acknowledge my existence on the planet. And he remembered my name from four hours ago. And I, from that day forward, I was like, Mark McGrath's a nice guy. Like, he remembered my fucking name. Like, this is amazing. So I went home and I had to tell everyone about my first, like, celebrity encounter and how he remembered my name. Like, it was literally my story for years. It was great. And then, uh, yeah, so it's really fun to, like, go full circle and you're sitting here on our podcast now. So thank you for making my internship so me- uh, memorable. Well, listen, it got a lot more memorable than me, Mark McGrath, and you. Believe me, thank God. But you know what's so funny is that, and it's one of the reasons why you kind of talk about longevity, if you have some common courtesy and manners in this business, it still goes a long way. And it's always something, always something you had, Adam. Dax, it's what you had the second I met you. And, you know, it's just a little common courtesy. How, how are you? I, I mean, look, you're saying, Dax, you remember my name. Well, of course I did. A human being. <laughs> you you meet a lot of people, but that shows like what kind of person you are. But that just goes to show you that little moment that you take and what you did, Mark, which was so effortless, and you just said that Dax still remembers this years down the road, and that just that little thing, and you have one chance at a first impression, and the guy will always still remember that. I I think that's so cool, man. Well, I appreciate that, Dax. You know, it means the world to me, and my mom from the heavens above thanks you, and it's something that was instilled in me early. You know, and it's. Uh, I've gotten jobs I don't deserve because I remembered a couple of crew guys' names. It's that simple. You know, because don't forget, when you're doing a show like Extra, you're joining a team. You're joining a family, dude. You're there. I, I was there longer than I was with my own family. So they're not, you know, they don't certainly invite people into their, their world unless they get along with you. So, like, you know, the, the camera guy will have a thought. Well, I didn't like, you know, that guy was kind of a dick, but he was cool, and I, I want to spend some time. You know what I mean? So all those things play into factors. So... It's kind of going back to like having talent or not. Talent helps. You know what I mean? Luck really helps. But, you know, having some common courtesy is a commodity in Hollywood. One thing that took a while for me to realize, like when you're not in the industry, you look at the celebs on TV or the stars of the show and you're like, oh, I want to be friends with them. They're famous. They're cool. The people that you really want to be friends with are the people behind the camera. Those are the ones that are actually giving the jobs. And that took a long time. I don't know why. Like it was just... I was like, oh, these are the famous people. These are the ones that are going to help you. Well, no, because you're essentially going to be competing against them down the road. And it's it's the directors, it's the producers. Those are the people that are going to actually give you the job. So think about that when you go next time you go in somewhere. That's why I'm so nice to you, Dax. I'm like, maybe I'm nice to this guy. He won't steal my job. I'm like, this guy speaks well. I mean, he's coming for my job. He's not interning here to do the, uh, the music section of extra, you know what I mean? So... Uh, but it's just like anything, dude. And forget entertainment or Hollywood. Just be nice to people, man. I know it's, it's a really small tenant of life, but it's something that's, it just helps me. And it perpetuates, you know, it's like, it's the secret. It's all that crap. If you're, if you're not, if you're inwardly nice and you throw it out, I promise you it comes back. You tell my kids that all the time. I go, just be nice and have some manners and you'll have a good life. Doesn't mean you're going to be a billionaire. Doesn't mean you're going to be like Charlie DiMaleo on TikTok, whatever. But it does mean you'll have a good life. It means you're going to be happy inside, you know? So. That's my little two bits. My internship was actually a little bit different. I didn't intern for Extra. I interned for the Howard Stern Show, and that was cool. I was a writer's assistant there. I was at K-Rock and went to Sirius with them, so I was there during the whole transition, and that's where I remember seeing you there, like, during that, like, you were more earlier before me because I was there post-Hank, um, but, like, I got to, I was already years. Yeah, yeah, I know Artie's from my hometown. Jackie's gone. Uh, but I was there during Artie. I knew Artie because Artie, Artie's from the same hometown as I am. So I knew Artie. Dude, 
I that's a really good question and it's a hard to figure out the answer. He's been very quiet and it's it's kind of sad. I kind of been I don't know to be honest. With you, I don't know it, but I've, I mean, I, I, he's just so amazing. It's my favorite years of the Howard Stern show was when Artie was there. It's he such was, a drag. He's so tortured, you know. And I just I wish him nothing but the best. And you know, it's just really he's, he's off the radar so much. And like I, I'm such a fan. I, I look up in the uh, you know the Newark city jails to see if he's in jail. I don't know where he is, man, but I, I, I wish him the best and I hope he knows how much he is loved. You know what I mean, yeah. bro? Because he's obviously tortured, man. He's giving people so much joy and I just wish him nothing but the bad. I, I don't mean to bomb everybody yeah, else. Yeah, I'll tell you what, to see someone, you know, I, I've been on the road with him a little bit and to see someone like what was going, you know, already at one point was one of the biggest comedians in the world, you know? Like that's, he was Carnegie Hall's, you're, he was huge, and to see him at the height and what was going on was absolutely insane. It was ridiculous. I have some insane arty stories, which I'll probably tell eventually. Um, but they're yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, what was I say? Is who was the most disappointing person you met in person? Like I've, from my experiences, I, I always tell this: the most disappointing celebrity that I got to meet in person was Ryan Reynolds, someone who, you know, I enjoyed. Yeah, dude, I was so bummed when I met him. I was like, dude, I. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, when I went to him, I wanted him to be Ryan Reynolds, and this has been multiple times. He just wasn't warm. He wasn't nice, and just wasn't. It just was really just over underwhelming, and I was just like, man, this sucks. But then you meet someone like we mentioned, David Spade, who I became really good friends with. I was like, fuck, he's everything you wanted to be and more. Shaq became really close friends of mine, but Ryan Reynolds was this guy. Like, man, I thought he would be Ryan Reynolds, this charismatic, nice, warm guy. And unfortunately, I had a, I have had many bad experiences with him, and that's without the camera in his face. It was just like, dude, I just want to say I'm a really big fan, and it just wasn't warm. It wasn't, maybe I, it was many bad experiences. Again, I've been fortunate, like you, run into these people numerous of times, but it just, do you have someone that was like, man, it was just like you really wanted to meet them. It was just unfortunate for you. You know, you get to a point, like you said, when you, when you've met a person enough times, you, you give them a benefit of the doubt in certain situations, and then you just deduce, well, maybe it's just not the most friendly guy in the world. I know someone like Ryan Reynolds and it's hard to, for me to pass judgment on people because you know, the, his life is so, so scrutinized, you know, being married to another A-lister. I mean, that, that's a compounded situation there. So I think he's the kind of guy that you want to be fake best friends with. And then you meet him. He's like, nah, bro, I only get this much. And then you're never getting in here. You're staying out here. You know, it's almost disappointing because yeah. you love the guy so much, you know, it's almost a, you're giving him a compliment really, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Disappointed on, on, you know, probably not because I was in situations where, where extra, I met a lot of people that maybe didn't want to be interviewed. So I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, I'm, I'm trying to think of someone off the top of my, my head. You know, I, 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 um, people that let me down. I mean, not, not, not really. I, I can't really think of someone doesn't really, jump across the page at me like that you know everybody's just been super super friendly and cool to me you know i yeah. guess also i was in a position where there was a symbiosis say i was on jay leno's show jay leno would come say hello because i was on the show sure. you know or a david letterman situation where if i saw letterman's walking down the street and i wasn't in the band i bet he would be so friendly to me yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what i'm yeah. saying so i, I think I, there's a different I'm trying, I'm trying to think, you know me, I'm an open book. I'd love yeah, yeah. to say I have this memory of someone being uncool, but I can't really think of one. I can't. Well, I, I know we're running out of time, so I want to ask you my last question. I'm sure Adam will have one. But I want to know, like, what was 
what has been like the proudest moment when you look back at your career? Yeah, I think the proudest moment, Dax, is the fact that uh, we wrote these incredible songs, incredible pop songs. And I say that with no smile or trying to be smug because you know me, I make fun of everything I do. I make fun of myself. I make fun of my band. I've been doing it for 30 years. I started the narrative of doing it. So I understand why everybody else does it. At that being said, I'm very proud of these songs that we wrote. It will be on, it will be in my obituary. You still hear them today. I still hear how much it means to people fly every morning when it's over someday, you know? So the more distant I get away from the songs, the, the more importance they have to me. And I look back and go, wow, I really did something once in my life, you know? Yeah. Um, I know people always say they're kids and stuff, but nah, forget my kids. My kids are average. <laughs> you know? my, my songs, my songs are amazing. <laughs> I'm very proud. I'm very proud of the songs. I'm very proud to have kept this band together. Uh, funny enough, this July 12th will be uh, 32 years I've been in this band, Sugar Ray, believe it or not. 32 years. So it's been a, it's been a, that's probably my, my pride and joy and the songs you wrote. Cause that, when, I, when I'm long and gone, God willing, you're still going to be hearing these songs of mine. Uh, to, to some people's chagrin, but not to mine. My last question is, what do you know about the entertainment industry now which you, that you wish you knew when you first started? Oh, man, that's such a good question, man. Oh, man. You know what, dude? I kind of came into it with the playbook. I'd seen a lot of bands that I was fans of. Some of the the hair metal bands that they went up the hell, they went up the hill early, and then they overspent and then came down the hill. You know, coming down, we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, but coming down the hill broke and back to where you started, that terrified me. And I saw some of my friends' bands do that, so I kind of came with the playbook of how not to do that. But I made a lot of mistakes, stupid drunken mistakes. You know, there, there would have been things I did, did differently on videos, you know, the Sugar Gay video, which has been around forever yeah. and a day. You know, that, that wasn't my shining moment, you know. Uh, and I always say with that particular video, I, that was my reaction to something. You know, I, I didn't want to be involved in that. And believe me, Sugar Gay was one of the least offensive things they were throwing around that night. What made you so mad about that? Because, I mean, obviously, infamous Dude, I would have went nuts like well, that, too. Yeah, well, only, well, only, only because of this. I, that night, that night, I was, Madonna was having a party, and there was a bunch of gay people at the party inside and out and leaving. So there was a bunch of really derogatory and kind of vicious slander being thrown. It wasn't. It wasn't just a paparazzi. This was almost 25 years ago. So paparazzi was barely a thing. It was just a group of people that were like, just, just people were getting intimidated and going back inside the bar. You know what I'm saying? And so when someone said sugar gay, you know, when you use the word gay, meaning less than, you, you've lost me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, 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 that night I was the shittiest, worst fake tough guy ever as I've proven, but you know, I've always stood up for my gay brothers and sisters, no matter how foolish I look. I do it a lot differently now, but uh, it just it just always have pissed me off. My whole like bullying elements of it, it just always pissed me off. So I was perfect drunk. It was 2.30 in the morning. And this 13-year-old kid that said that, who was in the bar an hour earlier, who somehow turned 13, and I was 50 at the time. So either he had the best fake ID in the world or he was 21. Uh, but, you know, that, that doesn't make a good thumbnail. So it just really <laughs> pissed me off. I've been called yeah. gay my whole life. It doesn't bother me. But when you, you, when you use it as less than to a group of people, you've lost me, man. You lost yeah. me. So I reacted like a drunken moron. And there's plenty of things that I gave you in that video diatribe that you can use. 
just lay off the, you know, lay off the slander, you know, and that, that was, I was kind of coming from. That's what set me off so bad. So I would have done that differently. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we all have those moments that we look back and we're like, oh man, well, I wish that wasn't been, that hadn't been recorded, but oh well, it is. Honestly, it is. I couldn't blame him though. I would have fucking knocked that kid out, dude. I would have. <laughs> You're a better man than I am, dude. I, I made a really bad fake tough guy. I'm I'm embarrassed by it. it it's I acted like a I, again. I reacted. I didn't act. I wasn't yeah. looking for anything. I reacted like a complete drunken moron, which I was. But again, I just you know the the, the homophobia, the slander. I just it just it exploded in me that night for some reason. You know, it was just it, I'll put it this way. It. It was mean spirited what was happening. As I said, Sugar Day was one of the nicer things that was being said. It just got me involved. So it's been following me around for 25 years, you know. Every day some every day something acts like that happened last night. You know? like my, mom, my mom used to see it like before, like the internet even, like social media. Some website would pop up. She'd go, Oh Mark, you didn't do that again. Oh, the beauty of the internet. Nothing ever goes away. Oh, man. Well, and I get reminded every day of it, Dax and Adam. But uh -huh. hey, you know what? Uh, it was a learning uh, moment, something I don't run from. I embrace. And uh, there was just a context. I normally don't get to explain my side of it. You know, I, I definitely react like a drunken moron, but there was a reason to the reaction. Interesting. Well, Listen, buddy, we, we don't look down on you for that moment in your life. We love you. We, we There's been way too many more good moments huge for you. Huge fans, brother. So, yeah, we huge fans. Thank you for finally joining us, even though you didn't know you were not. Uh, <laughs> we were just... Uh, yeah, we are... We have been texting each other for, like, the last couple days, talking about how excited we are to have you on. Like, we're, like, legit fans. So thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. It's absolutely my pleasure. And Adam Dax, you guys have been just wonderful to me my whole career. Uh, and you, you've protected me from things I probably don't even know about. So <laughs> I appreciate you both. Every time I see you, it smiles and, 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 and bro hugs. And uh, I wish you nothing but the best going forward. Thanks for having me on, man. And I was going to tell you, by the way, you know, so I'm, now, I'm no longer with TMZ. Uh, I got let go, but on a good uh, for for the better, trust me. And know who found me on the street and I work for on the side is Tony Robbins. You mentioned Tony Robbins before. Dude, Tony Robbins hired me. I'm like, he's like my sugar daddy because I didn't have health insurance. He goes, you know what? I'm going to put you under my plan. And now he, I'm, I get my insurance through him. I'm getting paid like six figures from him, and I really don't even do anything. I'm still – he like funds my – dude, he's such a good dude. If you ever want to come to an event, let me know. Be my guest. It's a free $10,000 ticket. Bring your wife. You know, you got – seriously, you're more than welcome. I would love to. And I see that Tony Robbins thing, and I meant it as a compliment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Getting yeah. older, I'm feeling more in touch with that whole vibe. You know what I mean? Dude, come. Seriously, you'll be my guest. I'll, I'll, you'll sit in his – and his friends and family, you'll meet Tony, get to hang out with him. He's the best. You got to come experience what he does. It's like insane. But, uh, dude, he pays me well and fucking gives me my health insurance. I'm able to kind of do all my stuff. I still run around with my camera and, and, like, it's fucking great. He's the best. He's, like, the coolest dude. The lifeline. You deserve that, my brother. You know, Thank that's you, brother. karma. That's karma coming at you, homie. Yeah, brother. But, dude, I appreciate you, man. I, seriously, I, I'm such a fan and now, and I'm a friend. And whatever I could do to help, you're the best, brother. I really appreciate right it. Right back at you both, man. I wish you the both. And I can't wait to see you two again when we turn to some sort of normalcy. Yeah, that's what I'm talking For about. For sure, brother. I'll